Welcome to the first official episode of the Warhorse Podcast. The website is goldengoatguild.net. You can find me on uh, Patreon under the same name, Golden Goat Guild. And this first episode is going to be um, the experiment in the 50-50 model. So, the free half will go up everywhere, and the coveted, highly controlled substance that is the second hour will, at this point, be available only on Patreon. Subscribers, as I understand it, will receive a private RSS feed. So... If this doesn't work, we will um, experiment with something else. But I'm pretty sure it's going to work. And um, we have our first sponsor. We, this show is going to be sponsored by Humble Nursery and Farmstead. Located in beautiful, rural, south-central Michigan... Humble Farmstead uh, produces all kinds of stuff, but what I think you guys might be most interested in are their herbs. The owner and um, the main, the, the, the head honcho, I suppose, there is very talented, educated, skillful herbalist, organic farmer the whole the whole works we'll have her on soon enough um, but they do stuff like uh, elderberry syrup ashwagandha a bunch of other stuff that's kind of beyond my um, ability to describe however salves and whatnot so these are you know all made in America uh, all grown. I think most everything is grown on her farm and um, they make it all. And I have tried all of this stuff. So far, um, every product that I've tried has been the best version of that product that I've tried. Uh, certainly the elderberry syrup, like first, um, you know, sign that you're getting sick. Take a swig of that stuff and you're on your way back. The salves are definitely like head and shoulders above Burt's Bees or whatever else you're going to find at a store. So, once again, humblenursery.com. Humble Nursery and Farmstead. Very, very good products. Big fans of the show. 
Okay. The other thing is, um, if you like the show, you know, you get through the first half and you want to subscribe, as I said, go to Patreon. If you don't want to subscribe, it's very helpful if you, you know, do the usual like, subscribe. Uh, well, you can't subscribe, but uh, like and share. But yeah, if you can subscribe, then that helps greatly. So tonight, I, um, I got a lot to get through. Um, Breathwork refined, going to go a little deeper into, into some details um, that I think we might have overlooked and some, some commentary. Um, I'm going to touch on Eliade, his concept of re eternal return. And in this vein, I'm going to touch on uh, some thoughts about narrative structure and how they can be applied to your life. And this is relevant to the concept that we went through in the last episode, um, the pilot series finale. Uh, I'm referring here to inner portals. And I think building that out with some of this other stuff will start to clarify what um, what exactly we're talking about here and um, speculate on how deep they go. So for that background, um, I'm going to go into rituals, you know, surrounding death, but in general. Um, Eliade has this other concept called... Um, Hierophanies. Touch on some dogs and um, demons versus daemons. I'm going to introduce you to a man, maybe you know him, but most likely not, named Kelly Joe Phelps. And um, definitely reserved for subscribers. I've got some more. Commentary and exercises in the topic of um, becoming a criminal of purpose. As well, we're going to intro, uh, you know, some stuff on survival strategies that are going to be available to most men. Probably not all of them will be available to everybody, but that's sort of the point is my sense is that if we um, we start looking at the options available to us and you know the big theme is don't freak out um, on this show that's what breath works about that's ultimately what death work is about all the information that I'm trying to pass on is is I think if we communicate it properly and then we, we do feedback, comments, questions, etc., and keep drilling on it, you know, it's hopeful. I mean, may, maybe we'll all get lucky and none of this shit will apply to us, but I don't think that anybody believes that at this point. So that's kind of, um, you know, I'm not an educator um, in the sense that, you know, I have no formal formal training 
in that regard. Um, so, you know, some humility is required. Um, you know, a novelist and we could, um, we could wait another 10 years to put a novel out and then have it be super esoteric and I don't know that it would help as much and I don't know if we have the time for that. Um, but that's neither here nor there, I suppose. So let's, um, let me go to my notes here and get into a couple of these. All right, so these are going to be woven into, you know, everything else because in pondering the inner portals myself, um, we touched on Jünger's Forest Passage, which I found to be it probably could have been, even though he's, I, I do like his style of writing, it's pretty terse and um, he sets things up and delivers with some pretty solid gravitas when necessary. Um, obviously his experience is completely untouchable. I mean, you know, just... A cursory examination of his war history is enough to to make you sit up and and want to take notice, and then you find out that he's also a novelist, a philosopher, and became a big uh, psychonaut um, later in life, as I understand it, experimenting with LSD, mushrooms, presumably, maybe some other stuff. Um, sounds as if he had somewhat of a direct tie to um, Albert Hoffman, who, if um, my psychedelic history is correct, was the originator of LSD over there in some Swiss-German laboratories. And I surmise that most of Jünger's experimentation was done prior to this stuff being highly illegal. Um, he seems to have hit that sweet spot as an interesting number of uh, cast of characters seem to have had this experience of being exposed to psychedelics um, and and doing having participated in them without the the freight of the, the legality. I think that inevitably colors whatever experience you're going to have. You know, whether, whether you feel very safe, you know, you're at mom and dad's house and you got a bag of mushrooms and they're out of town or, or whatever. Um, the history that is transferred through movies and music and culture, pop culture in general, as, you know, that stuff's like of the essence in the experience. So 
as I've mentioned in a couple other essays, or at least one essay, um, I can neither I can neither confirm nor deny. You know, I cannot say that they're right for you, I, or wrong for you. I cannot say that they are, as um, Brian Moriescu, you know, his book, The Immortality Key, makes this whole case for um, some type of psychedelic brew um, playing a major role, if not the central role, like maybe even the Eucharist in his terms, or a stand-in for it, or, or something. There's enough there for me to take a lot of interest. Um, not everybody, you know, in King of Dogs there were many, many themes and threads that were being woven from the first page all the way through to the last page. Um, and I'm very proud of that construction. Um, but, and, you know, not this is to say not everybody picked up on this kind of uh, underlying psychedelic theme, hallucinogenic theme, which is fine. You know, that's intentional. That's how it's, it's supposed to be woven that way. Um, it's not supposed to be, it, you know, the whole book, not to go into King of Dogs but right now, but um, the whole book is an argument of sorts that only the kind that can only be made by the novelist. Um, and so in this book, you know, I, I again neither confirm nor deny. I leave it up to you. Um, how does this relate to portals and the forest passage? So in the forest passage, I don't recall any talk necessarily of taking drugs. I don't think that was the point of that book at all. I think the point of the book was if you are in a position where you are anticipating tyranny of one sort, oppression of one sort or another in your near, you know, intermediate future, I think what Junger is advocating is for you to one, take a very serious hard look um, at, at your inner state and again this is a guy who who has a great deal of, of experience on the ground to say nothing of what kind of historical academic theoretical philosophical types of consideration very well read um, and gave it a lot of thought over over quite a, quite a quite a few years, and it seems to me that what he arrived at, and that what that book delivers, is not a template for you know how to conduct some types, you know, any number of types of operations that some people might consider if they find themselves in that position. He's doing, he's talking about an interior operation. And uh, the sheer power 
involved in the world wars um, doesn't doesn't seem to be matched by much of anything in in the modern day. I mean, it's hard maybe to overstate um, how deep those ripples went and how far. Um, I imagine you could you could have found you know some. I mean, even tropical islands were involved, but you could probably find, you know, some tropical island to uh, wait it out till 1946 or something. But you take the you take my meaning. Um, there was a there was a depth of meaning uh, involved there that I think is worth considering as if you choose to read Younger's uh, book. Why does he, why does he couch it in these terms of a sort of metaphorical the forest passage? If you haven't read it, the best if I can summarize it here, he seems to be advocating. He's making he he's making a sort of very subtle. I like it. I like how he, I like what he does. Where there is the opportunity, you know to take the forest passage to go into the forest and maybe you do conduct some type of operation to survive maybe you just hole up and hide out um, yet the book doesn't talk about it doesn't discuss techniques or tactics of how you would do that it mostly discusses the nature of of what is being faced and He's offering for the reader an observation of certain margins that exist, some of them physical, and, and then he sort of blends it into this inner landscape, thereby suggesting that survival might be found for the individual uh, more through attending to this inner landscape. You know, again, he's not, he's not, he's doing the same thing. You know, he's neither confirming nor denying. He's not saying don't pick up arms against your oppressors if that's what it comes to. Um, but the nature of the technolo the technological nature that he was exposed to and then also foreseeing because as I recall there's there's some pretty heavy uh, forecasting um, and a sense that almost a um, Uncle Ted there's a tone of Uncle Ted in there like I'm not quite sure when that book was written but and I believe he died in the early 80s I could have all that wrong but I don't think the book came at the very end of his life. But even if he was, you know, writing in the 70s, he would, a uh, guy that smart and super, super worldly fellow, uh, seems to me he was hobnobbing and reading and writing in all sorts of different places and had a lot of exposure and just had a very unique mind, both open, 
and um, he definitely possessed this warrior's uh, capacity for instituting black and white thinking uh, when and where and as necessary. So in this vein, um, a few concepts occurred to me. Um, the first of which I call the bottom of the ocean. Second, through the wall. The third, the tunnel rat. The fourth, the gray man slash interloper. And then, um, again, Junger's forest passage. So real quick, because this is going to take a while, if you guys are, you know, if this is even of interest, but what I'm advocating in terms of portals and experimenting, pondering them now in relation, you know, using breath work, meditation, prayer, whether that's like active prayer, walking and hiking, um, playing with your dog, uh, these are just activities that I tend to use for this. Any real portal, um, you know, is not going to be found through some physical or, or rote sort of exercise. Certainly that's the foundation, in my opinion, of, of everything, you know. I, you probably know what you're going to do tomorrow, and as as much as you can control it, that's what you're going to do. Same here. However, I believe that these portals arrive through a confluence, multiple estuaries. And of course, in life, you know, everything's in motion too. So the metaphor of the, the confluence even, though the river moves, uh, it seems to me that as time moves, Oh, and um, contexts shift, things decay, new things arrive. The, the landscape aspect of this metaphor complicates it further. We'll go with it, but... Um, these confluences, uh, in literary terms, would be fate, destiny, tragedy, etc. Um, and this stuff, as society, you know, the footings of society begin to crumble, um, elements of, I mean, these were, these were gods or forces at, at one point in human thinking. And it starts to become more evident, you know, why that would be the case. If you can't wake up tomorrow and be pretty certain that things will be a, a set way, all of a sudden, as I've stated before, uncertaintism begins to border on the panic attack. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're taken out of the fight or unable to defend or provide for your family before anything's been done. And to kind of reiterate the importance of this, 
all of those little ticks and twitches and pains and aches and um, you know oddities that you're feeling that we all most of us these days tend to have unless we're in some serious serious uh, flow of training over a, a substantial period of time studies have indicated that not you know not every single uh, grumble that you have or every single ache and pain is necessarily totally attributable to uh, this mounting level of stress but you know the separating of the two it can be pretty dicey and my experience is, is that almost nobody is is monitoring that type of stuff there was this um, Instagram post that I um, placed in my stories the um, the guy from shift and the guy from prepare to perform are having a discussion and the the takeaway although the content was good another takeaway that most people might have missed is just or been you know alienated by is the level of familiarity that they have with this self-monitoring because these signs and symptoms studies have shown are they're like warnings you know that the stress is bubbling it's um, dysfunction is taking hold and the panic attack you know I think people are lucky that have them just on some you know for no real uh, there's no catalyst it's just they wake up one day and go to work and all of a sudden they're they can't get out of their car and they're sweating and their mind is racing and they're convinced they're going to die and then they go to the hospital and they're embarrassed you're just having a panic attack um you know we're working on some pills for you right now etc that won't work and we'll hook you into the system and fuck you up in all different other ways so that's that's something to keep keep your eyes open for and begin now with that said you know you can only do so much um, the moment of truth arrives and uh, in literary terms we might we might boil this down to an actual moment to dramatize it in real life sometimes I believe that happens in in other cases maybe it stretches on for a couple days or weeks and it isn't a bright neon sign that's telling you to go in and take the portal and if you don't have that information there could be a, a bright neon sign but you won't know it you won't know what to do Jordan Peterson um, has an expression that that has stuck with me or an idea that has stuck with me and I think is very useful if you can remember it that in instances of tragedy catastrophe the tendency from his academic sort of clinical 
research point of view is that people tend to make it worse. So something happens and everybody's reactions amplify the negativity and all the bullshit that they've been carrying around now is just fuel for this fire. And it, if you can simply contain that, and if you had to do or you know, some breath work, meditation, reading, pondering, listening to podcasts, journaling, what have you, these things that are maybe available to you now, just so you could simply recall that when everything else has fallen apart could mean the difference. And his observation, I think, again, points, it's not, a lot of the science stuff, a lot of the new age stuff, a lot of what we tend to, seemingly what tends to be put up for us is, it's like one-dimensional or topical, when it seems to me that the graphic representation of it should be something more like a tunnel, where, you know, you have a guidepost. Sure, there's an intersection and Maybe there's some some interesting stuff down this other tunnel. Maybe there's no signpost to identify it. Maybe there's a signpost on another one. But the one that you want to take, if you've gathered some knowledge and you've trained with, with specifically with stress, you know, Hopefully, you you yourself have planted some of these signposts. And back to this idea that, you know, we're not really thinking the way we think we're thinking. We seem to be, you know, time. I, I alluded to this in another talk regarding, or regarding evolution. You know, time to an omniscient being such as God would be a sort of construction, you know, an out, if like we use the edges of paper, um, the golden mean on the screen, you know, we use, God could very well, not that I know, I'm just speculating here. However, it seems to me uh, logically you know, in irrefutable that if we have an omniscient God, all-powerful God, that time would be unnecessary. And that so, being that this is his creation and we're existing in it, I conclude that time itself is a type of scaffolding placed here for our experience. And in the way that you can take a baby gate, you know, to the baby, that shit is fixed on the wall. And they get a little smarter and they start tampering with it. And then, you know, and eventually they just, they realize what it is and they can go around it. Um, but as we are to God like children, and that's not going to change, I just, it's simply, my conclusion is that this aspect of ourselves that um, seems to be able to operate forward and back. Um, you know, there's plenty. I keep 
um, suggesting or insinuating that part of the emotional center s seems to involve instinct and intuition. And that is, uh, I mean, if we need to have an argument or a case to prove that intuition and instinct have been decimated, if not almost entirely eradicated from the modern human, you know, look no further than just flip on any channel. Um, so I hope, hopefully we can close the case on that and move forward, but if on some, on some layer we are connected directly to, as the hippies say, source, and as we say, God, and if we have such thing as a daemon, D-A-E-M-O-N, this is this Greek concept for, it's very much, it's very similar to the Christian concept of the guardian angel. It's some type of liaison between the realms, a character that um, sort of sits on your shoulder, but maybe only speaks loud enough for you to hear it when you really need it. Um, in the literature, there's a lot of ties and suggestion that, you know, this would be a, a liaison between the subconscious, I guess, between this aspect of yourself that could lay out some, something as complicated as a knowing forward in time And if not that, at least a, a, a sort of alarm clock that can come up instantaneously to help you make very complicated decisions in split second. Most of you guys are probably like like me. If you're you're thinking of you know training right now, um, and these old saws about you don't rise to the occasion you you fall to your lowest level of competency which which certainly seems to be the case when you are in full adrenaline dump but i don't i have never believed in my experience this hasn't been entirely true um and i you know I, it's probably no one would disagree that these things are on a spectrum and that they're cumulative but all but also nobody seems to nobody of consequence anyway um that i've ever heard has has ruled out you know there being higher levels to this game it's just an easy and saleable idea that We'll bring you back to classes, which I'm all for classes. I'm all for dry fire. I'm all for training. I'm all for every single day. I do it myself every single day. However, I don't believe that the mass of tactical trainers also spent 15 or 20 years um, in a yoga studio or studying 
philosophy. These just aren't very common uh, to find in one person. And so I think we suffer from that because we have a, you know, another, it's, it's this topical sort of conclusion. Like, if X, Y, and Z happens, make sure you've got A, man. Well, yeah, okay. But it also assumes that, you know, normalcy in other ways has continued. In a lot of these discussions, it's the aftermath and, you know, keep your mouth shut. And I want to talk to my lawyer. I fired in defense of my life, et cetera, et cetera. And hell, if you can remember that, then it's true. There's nothing false about, about these ideas. What I'm suggesting, though, is that we are limiting our, we're limiting each other, and uh, I think inadvertently, I don't think probably any of this is intentional, it's a result of this pervasive diminishment that we've spoken of on this podcast and will continue to speak of. Um, so much of the content on places like Instagram in particular, I think a lot of it started out geared towards women. But now, I mean, there are a lot of accounts that, that are pushed on me that seem to be little more than chicken soup for the soul and a photo of your EDC Glock. And I mean, it's, it's plati platitudinous. Um, it's one-dimensional. Okay. So in relation to portals, if, you ha if the shit hits the fan and you have taken action or you have not taken action, my, what I want to posit here is that in this shaking up of circumstances and of yourself, if you have prepared, if you have familiarized, and again, for subscribers, in the second hour, I'm going to go into some, some heavier detail on things that I've played around with and that hopefully, you know, are interesting enough for, for some of you guys to pick up and start experimenting uh, and taking your own ways and report back and, you know, maybe we can generate better stuff than than one novelist sitting in his in his truck can can generate um so if if back to the point if um if you're in this moment and you have prepared on all in all dimensions and i know that probably if you're listening to this i don't need to tell you how to cover your bases in terms of um you know, storing food or uh, mobility is survivability or, you know, whatever little bit of survival, quote, survival wisdom. I don't believe it's wisdom. You know, they're, they're tips, tricks, techniques. What, what we're trying to establish here is a type of wisdom. And so if I'm in a moment, if we can segue over into Eliade, uh, you know, this is the type of 
type of ground uh, we're trying to work here. Anyway, so back to our scenario. You're hit in one way or another. Let's take an extreme. Say you are actually hit. And say people around you that you love and are tasked with protecting are hit. And it's like, you know, worst case nightmare scenario. Virginia boys, you got your, you know, your very rudimentary kit and dogs are dead all you know whatever you want i don't i don't even want to suggest but you're worst you know it's fucked um and you're going to die you have this moment and this is death work okay this is what i mean i pray that i will be given a moment if this were to happen to me where I can have the wherewithal not to decide, of course I'm going to fight. That's, that's that one-dimensional thing. That's not enough. That's not what built Western civilization. Yeah, a lot of blood was shed probably just like that. But that's, again, one aspect of a multi-dimensional phenomenon on, phenomena on, you know, in our history. How many men faced with that scenario, yes, fight. But there's another layer available. Um, If I refer to the book, King of Dogs, and the careful reader will notice that there is often juxtaposed to violence or a moment of violence some sort of reprieve Um, there's a description of natural beauty which is completely detached from this very personal freak out or adrenaline dump or intense um, violence that's happening this is a portal when my hero I guess I, I don't even I don't want to do spoilers for my own fucking book on on my podcast, but at a certain point, readers of the book will recall my hero is pinned down and um, he catches a a view up to the perfect, you know, abstract painting sort of strip of blue uh, framed on either side by these red rock columns. So that's Maybe the best I maybe that's a hopefully this is a better way to express this concept. Even if there was nothing visual, um, and you, I've seen this in films. You know, it's usually a little sappy, and it's not quite the flavor of warrior that I'm looking to detail here. But sometimes in films, they'll do this um, cliche of, or a a bit of the cliche of running over your whole life 
you know, your life passes before your eyes. It's usually done in very emotional, uh, emotionally charged snippets. And, you know, there's really nothing wrong with that. That, too, is a type of portal. I don't think it's nearly as powerful as what what you can access. Okay, so bottom of the ocean. You know, you've hit you've hit rock bottom. It it literally cannot get any lower than this. Cliche. Um, never thought I'd find myself in this position. Let me tell you how great life was before this. Okay, that's a portal. Through the wall. This is another type of portal. A different flavor. Um, imagine the guy who... The grind set guy. You know, the guy don't think that grind I like the term it's funny but um I'm not talking about the grind set guy necessarily I'm talking about somebody I'm what I'm talking about is McCarthy's back to no country for old men again why did this guy carve a stone trough after working all day coming home to chip away at this thing to last 10,000 years this is a sort of long-term portal more akin, I think, to the Forest Passage, where there is a, a very personal goal, not a commercial consideration, probably not even a material consideration, something else. If I provide that for you, the listener, right now, I do not believe that will be of service. Um, I can tell you that I have one of these. And were I to achieve it, there's another one right behind it. So, do portals portals um, connect? Absolutely they do. Do I have to run just one? No. Are there probably 10,000 others that Andy Edwards isn't going to think of tonight? Definitely. So, hopefully, the, um, again, the, the idea here is to kind of uh, detail the space in which we're working. That's it. Uh, the tunnel rat. Everybody knows what a tunnel rat is. Um, if you're of my generation, you grew up hearing about uh, this hellish job in Vietnam of going down into these enemy tunnels with nothing but a shitty little flashlight and a 1911 or a revolver and uh, finding Charlie down there and getting in the just like the most nightmare gunfight possible um, I'm using that here to build connotation for sure and um, if you're not exposed to that I apologize um, hopefully that brief description will paint enough picture that this this description of another portal will uh, will help the idea with the tunnel rat 
is that he he's not going he's going to subvert go subterranean at every turn and this is going to be the outwards the the ongoing strategy and so i think you can imagine how in potential future scenarios uh, if we had a character simply called the Tunnel Rat who didn't actually dig tunnels, or maybe he did, um, both conceptions would be applicable. And again, we'll go into this stuff if it's of interest and develop these further. The Gray Man and Interloper, I think, is kind of the closest one to the Forest Passage that Jünger puts forward. Everybody knows the concept of the Gray Man. Um, my understanding is that this was kind of cobbled together from, you know, different agencies' experience um, and put forward as a way to operate in non-permissive type environments um, by, by looking the part. I think Ed Calderon, again, has done some pretty amazing work at fleshing this out and for the modern and the for the American audience things that so again if we haven't <laughs> directed everybody's attention to to Ed's manifesto on Instagram um, let me do it once more but the gray man slash interloper as a porthole to survival on, in the long term Again, you know, a portal can be presented to you in a moment of exigent circumstances, urgent, and even uh, existential circumstances. However, these four or five here, we're putting them forth as, as concepts to to play with as more long-term. Um, so the interloper gray man is going to be probably conducting his life as, as close as possible to what it was before. So you can see how this is not going to apply to, you know, if you're a data guy and all of a sudden they don't need social or, uh, you know, dating apps anymore then this probably isn't you. But if you are, I don't know, in transport or probably plenty of forms of retail, um, something like this might be applicable. And I think that this one is, is pretty, well, is pretty obvious. The tunnel rat to me is the most elusive because in conceiving it, it's it's almost as if uh, you take the gray man and you you're adding an element of the smuggler, and insofar as these apply, you know, in the moment, if you're going to die in the next, say, one minute.
you could determine, you know, you could decide to, to die. I mean, you could just go with it. You could decide to fight and that could be the end of it. You could panic. You could decide to roll over in a reverie and uh, if you have a, a slice of natural beauty to take in, maybe not a bad thing to do. Again, I don't know. Who knows? What the tunnel rat might do is burrow under all of that to a place that's not even imagined. It cannot, you know, that, that I tonight or maybe you listening to this cannot yet imagine. But this is the choice he's going to make. It's almost as if the emotional and reasoning centers have fused and integrated by sheer uh, urgency alone. We're just going to say, no, I'm not going into the trauma loop at all. Um, I'm going to determine the last 60 seconds of this existence. Um, and I'm going to determine my read on them. I'm not going to allow the other guy to have the last word. And so hopefully one common theme in all of these is that you're a fighter. Um, and my conception of things, um, if we haven't, as a human being, established that as part of our psyche, you know, I'll just, just let it go. Uh, like I said, I think I said this in the first, one of the first episodes, just go with God. Um, the meek shall inherit the earth, it's said, but I don't think that's what is meant there. So, coming up on an hour, um, let's go into uh, Eliade, and um, we'll see if this is a satisfying first hour. We're still learning. I appreciate your, your patience. So Eliade, um, I can't pronounce his first name. I believe it's Merceau, Merceau Eliade, was a theorist, academic, a, a writer of both fiction and nonfiction. I have read a couple of his major works. And um, on the Warhorse podcast, there might be instances where um, it's, it's appropriate to go into, you know, like real scholarly detail on these things. Uh, but he, my approach is I tend towards, you know, I'll go as deep as I need to go. And if you guys want more, then you get it. We'll go. We'll keep going. Um, you know, given that time is what it is though um we're gonna we're gonna hit the high points and then move it into the back into the we're gonna weave it like the novelist does so um Eliade introduced a number of con concepts that are worthy of grabbing and tucking into your back pocket 
giving consideration to. Um, the first one we mentioned is the, I think it's pronounced hierophany. And this is an experience of the sacred. Pretty general. I bring this up to point again, if, it, I don't think we use this word at all, but listeners of, of the death work episodes will, I think, grasp this. So an experience of the sacred, that's kind of the goal of death work. That's, that's the work, you know. Uh, if a bricklayer lays bricks, a death worker seeks the sacred. Um, and of course, you know, the sacred in Eliade's terms, in his, uh, rubric, the opposite, he has, I think, I think the title of the book is actually sacred and profane. So the profane is essentially the secular and the sacred is essentially the religious. And, um, you know, we're going to find inner portals, um, and probably if there are such things, um, physical portals on the sacred side. In the profane side, you know, we're making money, we're filling the tank, um, commerce, um, war, you know, might blend the line a little bit or blur the line a little bit. However, Eliade brings this distinction up in, in historical uh, terms. This is what he's concerned with, finding a sort of universal um, that he can identify. And uh, some people have taken you know, made criticisms of it. However, it seems so simple and, and uh, his, his case is, is very solid to say that people throughout uh, almost all cultures, certainly our cultures in the West, have sought these distinctions between the sacred and the profane. And... Orthodoxy in particular is, is a little bit, you know, it's, it's very sophisticated. Um, and what, what they've actually, the framework put forward in orthodoxy is, is such that the liturgy, um, I got to be careful here because I'm not an orthodox scholar, but forgive me if, if this is a little butchered, but the liturgy itself is a is a sacred moment, and in the sacred moment, you, and in Eliade's terms, you are bound to sacred time. So, referring you know to twenty minutes, thirty minutes ago, this idea of time um, being a sort of scaffolding, in reality, with a cap with a with a not a capital R, you know, a lowercase R, which is what we have access to. I think that's what Heidegger's saying, and I think that's the case. If we believe in a, an omniscient, all-powerful God, 
that's also, you know, un, unapproachable in the sense that you cannot simply decide, well, I'm going to take off my, my God blinders and I'm going to commune directly. No, you're not. Um, one, it's not really an option. You can attempt it, uh, maybe through like, I don't know, a year long constant, uh, DMT drip or something, but you're not going to make it. It's just, again, it, it's ridiculous to, the answer is, is in the question. Um, by that, I mean, if we're wondering why we're here and what the point of this is and what we can do with it beyond just living in the profane, making money, um, we should probably turn to the creator and start to take some hints there. Anyway, in, uh, in other cultures, the, the distinction between sacred and profane is not, is not always as overarching and super sophisticated because the liturgy itself encapsulates the content of it, encapsulates the entire story of the cosmos. It links you to that moment. It links you to the Eucharist as well as uh, any number of other sacred mysteries that are uh, occurring simultaneously. So you talk about weaving, you know, there it is. As well, you have a sort of liturgical calendar which seeks, as I understand it, um, to, in this, in this way, transform the entire year into into the sacred. All of the seasons um, are accounted for, etc. So in a way, you know, you could view it as this project, um, maybe aligned with the greater teleological projects that are guided by the unseen hand and that, you know, at least in this lifetime, we will not probably uh, see the end of. However, we have access to participate in the complete teleological meaning uh, at various times through the year, of course, and certainly during the liturgy. So that's one example. You know, let's take Zen as another one. I'm pretty pretty familiar with this, and I actually do not believe that it's... I believe that the two are sort of not, um, you know, two sides of the same coin. They're more like two different vantage points on the same thing. And Zen would suggest, as I've... We've commented earlier about this endless, eternal moment that we have access to. Go ahead and tie that back to this, um, you know, my suggestion of what time really is and how it's not, it's not just forward, it's not what it seems at all. It's just that it's made for us to perceive it this way. In in Zen, you have the admonition to clear your mind and um, experience your life 
or life, the being, as it were, um, you'd go and sit by the river, um, or you would go to the forest and sit under the trees and remove yourself, you know, the internal dialogue from the equation. Thereby gaining closer communion with God's creation. Maybe a revelatory sort of experience. You know, these don't seem to be offered to everybody, but um, they do seem to be offered pretty frequently um, if you're listening. But that's if all you're doing is listening to the inner monologue and then getting hooked. And if we veer back to orthodoxy, you know, I think this is the job of the demons. I think this is kind of the main operant mechanism. If you could remove that, then you're probably golden. And Zen seems to be a lot of meditation, whether it's the, the Yogananda stuff from India, uh, transcendental, what have you, new agey. They tend to agree, I think, about this, and then, you know, they'll insert the mantras, um, which I'm sort of split on um, as a way to, for the beginner to start experiencing like a diversionary tactic of your, your incessant inner monologue. It's maybe not a bad way to go, but, and the Jesus, the, you know, a case could be made that the Jesus prayer is something similar. I'm not going to make that case. Um, and I, diversionary stuff may work. It, I never, I didn't really seem to need it personally. So if you guys want to hear more about that, um, I'm happy to go into it. I'm pretty familiar with the tactics, but here again, you have, um, ritualized techniques and sort of goals in terms of state of mind to achieve to remove you from profane finite time and install you into this endless moment into the sacred time and um, I think this is a pretty useful consideration and I think that if inner portals exist, they're only accessed through sacred time. I've never heard anybody say that you couldn't use sacred time to your advantage to survive. It's usually spoken of in terms of funerals, um, church services, etc., it may very well be uh, blasphemous for me to suggest this. It was already suggested many, many times in King of Dogs. Um, and I would argue that if all of human experience is ultimately, and it is, just by, again, basic definitions, all of what's available to us was circumscribed by God 
certainly there's places where you know there are rules and uh, regulations if you will uh, choices I don't you know sins that we're aware of but as far as I know I think this is a piece of the puzzle that's just completely missing from the entire conversation that I can use these inner states if I can achieve them for survival. All right, so I'm at a minute and almost 10, a minute eight. So we'll close off the, um, the free section thanking our first honored sponsor, Umble Nursery, U-M-B-E-L, Nursery and Farmstead, umblenursery.com. Um, this is one thing I do like about Joe Rogan. Like, I think that he actually believes in the products that, um, you know, he, he agrees to, to deal with. And uh, the guy's making three, $300 million. Um, so I'm going to follow in, in at least those footsteps. And I'm only going to advocate for or make deals with people that I believe in and trust and have already dealt with. So no shit the best like far and away the best like not even close uh elderberry syrup that you will ever get your hands on and the best salve there's two that i know of and i don't know what their names are or even if they have names one is for kind of like wound care in general you know if you split your lip or you split your hand or you have something going on in your foot or a cut, what have you. That salve is gold. It's actually gold in color, but it's metaphorically like gold. You can skip everything else, put some of that on, and at least with my healing abilities, which who knows on where they fall on the spectrum, it's about a day. And then there's another one that I believe is is more for like maintenance, moisturizing, that sort of thing. Both of them are fantastic. Umblenursery.com. And um, yeah, so if you made it this far, a minute 10, thank you for listening. Um, I hope you will subscribe on Patreon. I'm working on some backup channels. Uh, I'm going to investigate Substack and, and some other ideas. Uh, Gumroad seems very difficult to navigate the subscriptions that I've partaken of as a listener were not that easy to to access but for now it's Patreon your support is greatly appreciated you can pick up the book again through the website Um, on Instagram there's a link tree where you can go everywhere lastly we just dropped uh a couple of new shirts and there's a couple more in the pipeline they will probably be out this week my wife designed them um, for the most part one of them the gorilla or some people call it the navigator um, was designed by Sosh illustrations 
who does really fantastic work. He's on Instagram. I think that's the only place where you can find him. Super uh, good guy to work with. And uh, I'm very proud of that design. We made it together and it's exactly what I wanted. That's one of the shirts. The other one is uh, my take, you know, not that I, again, I'm probably a heretic already, but um, it's not my take. It's just a, a graphic interpretation of the Orthodox schema. I don't think you have to be Orthodox to wear it, but if you are Orthodox and you listen to this podcast and you don't buy it, that may be heretical. I'm not sure. I'm joking, but um, check them out. They're pretty cool. I've, I'm proud of them all. Again, my wife um, designed all the other ones other than the navigator slash uh, gorilla. So thank you listeners until next week. And for subscribers, hang on. I'll probably give you a little musical interlude or something, and I'll be right back with you. Thank mm-hmm. you.